right, as you are finding a seat, if you don't have a Bible, there are some back there on the table where Mr. Corey is, so go grab one because we are going to use those every single time we come together in here. Um, does anybody know the book we've been studying? Let's try that again. What book have we been studying? First John. That's right. We're going to be in there again tonight, so you can go ahead and open up to that book because we're going to dive right in there. Um, but before we do that, I have a question I want to ask you guys. Um, have you ever caught yourself doing something that you didn't realize you were doing? Dare I ask what it was? No? Okay. What about you, Leland? What was it? And you had no idea you were sleeping on the couch with a blanket on, okay? <laughs> okay, all right, Oliver. Oh, okay. So you kind of lost track of what was going on there. Okay, all right. I, I think we all have tendencies to do some of those things. Like some of you in here, um, especially you ladies with longer hair, maybe every once in a while you find yourself just twirling your hair between your fingers and you're like, what? you're like, no, I never do that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know who does it? Mr. Corey. That's it right there. All right. Or, or maybe, I, maybe you guys are like me. I, I'll fidget with a pen or a pencil if it's in my hand and you'll like find yourself tapping it or flipping it between your fingers or doing something. There's something I do that, that's, you want to know what it is? I find myself quite regularly looking for patterns. Patterns. Let me explain to you what that means. For instance, if you walk into, okay, the high school, those of you who have been in the new building, the drama building with all this, you notice they've got the carpet there, right? The, the weird like gray, black, puke green carpet that they've put down. If you, if you look close enough, you can start to see that those aren't all completely different. If you look at the ones that are placed on the ground, you'll see maybe this one will have the exact same pattern as that one and the exact same pattern as that one. If you've got like wood laminate flooring in your house or right out here in the hallway, if you start looking at some of those pieces, those strips, you'll notice there are some that are the exact same. There's patterns everywhere. And I, maybe it's because I like math. I don't know, maybe I'm just a nerd. I have no idea. But patterns are everywhere and that's what I find myself doing. I wanna see if you guys can pick out patterns, okay? We'll do math. It's easy. And the reason we're going to do math is because patterns are easy to find. There. Some of y'all are like, I hate you right now. It's okay. I made it simple. For instance, ready? I want you to put that first slide up. Tell me what the pattern is. Okay. Okay. They all go up by twos, right? Easy pattern, right? Okay. You ready for the next one? Do the next one. Who said squares? Squares. That's exactly what it is. One times one is one. Two times two is four. Three times three is, it's the squares. That's the pattern as you're squaring every number in a row. See, now how many of you looked at that and thought, there's no way I'm ever gonna figure that out. Okay, there's a couple of you. It's okay, it's okay. I like that kind of stuff. How about this one? Spring, summer, fall, winter. There's seasons. Why would that be a pattern? What's that? I repeat, unless you look down here, because then we have summer. Yeah, it's all summer. I get that. But why, why, would those, why would those four seasons be a pattern? Because it happens. What do you mean it happens? Yes. 
because it happens every year, same cycle, over and over and over. Now, you're right, where we live, it's like a little bit of cold, summer, 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 a little bit of cold. Okay, that's, that's kind of the pattern we have. But, guys, if you look around you every single day, whether it's numbers and math, whether it's the seasons, whether it's music, whether it's movies and storylines and books, you will start to see patterns everywhere. And that's a weird thing that I know I do, but here's one of the things that I've learned. As much as you can look and see patterns in stuff, in things that are around you, did you know that you can see patterns in people too? That if you watch people over time, you will start to see consistencies. Things that come up, things that they do over and over and over again. And that's exactly what we're talking about tonight because as we jump back in to the book of 1 John again, what we find out, our author is showing us tonight, and this is the one point. If you're taking notes, this is the one sentence, the one point we're going to have all night long, and it's this. The pattern of your life reveals the pursuit of your heart. That's what we see tonight in this book. And as we get into that, we're going to see how the author brings this out. But before we do that, as we always do, we're going to walk through the questions because there's some basic things you need to know about a book when you study it. So those of you that have been here, if you haven't been here and you don't know the answers, it's okay. You can pick up on it tonight and you'll know them next time. So who do we believe wrote this book? Did you say Jesus? Who is the human author that penned it? John, okay. Are we 100% sure that John wrote it? No, no we're not. Remember, the, the letters of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and the book of Hebrews are technically anonymous letters. But when you look at the writing style, when you look at the phrases, when you look at the time frame and where we believe it was written and who it was written to, it lines up with John, who wrote what other two books in Scripture? No. I already told you, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, John, what are the other two books? Nope. Okay, I heard Revelation. What's the other one? Thank you. I was going to say, it's his name. Good job. Yes. So 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, John, the book of John, and the book of Revelation. Now, when do we believe it was written? When, not where. Hey, 90 to what? 90 to 95 AD is when we believe it was written. Who? Who was it written to? Okay. Hey. We got church, the church. We've got Christians. Yes, it was written to other believers. Now, the main idea. Remember, there's three themes that keep popping up. What are they? Truth. Obedience. And love. As we walk through this book, and guys, hey, we're going to see some of these pop up again tonight. These are the three ideas that keep coming up over and over and over in this book. And the last question, why did he write it? There's two reasons. Why did he write it? Correct false teachers. What's the second one? No, we already covered that one. To encourage. Thank you, Miss Landreth. Yes. Hey, guys, ladies. He wrote it to confront false teachings that were happening in the church. 
And he wrote it to encourage the believers to stay true to what Scripture says. So these are important things. Anytime you study a book of the Bible, you need to know where this book is coming from. What was the author doing? Why did they write it? Where were they when they wrote it? If we can know that information. Because every one of these things gives us context for this book in the Bible. So we can understand what did the author mean when he was saying these things, when he was writing these things. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do what we always do. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of reading of God's word. And I'm going to ask Mr. Leland May. Where you at, Leland? Come on up here, buddy. You got your Bible open? You ready to go? We are going to read... 1 John 2, 28, all the way through chapter 3, verse 10. I'll hold the mic while you read. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that I did not know him. Beloved by God's children now, and what we will be, what we be has not yet happened, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is and now everyone who thus hopes in purifies purifies himself and uh, as he is pure everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness sin is lawless You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason of the Son of God appeared when to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it's It is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that we can spend time in your word tonight. Lord, help us to learn what it is we're supposed to learn out of this tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Y'all give it up for Lee Lynn. Hey, and he, he did that last minute. He didn't know he was doing that until he showed up tonight. So good job, buddy. All right, so let's just, let's just start walking through this. Remember, John is talking to believers, and he's talking to them kind of like a loving parent. He says right there in verse 28, he says, and now little children. So you're, you're seeing the love that he has for them, and he's giving them instruction, and he's trying to encourage them. He says in verse 28 again, he says, and now little children, abide in him 
so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. That very first little phrase there where he says, abide in him. I started thinking there's so many different words you could use there that, because that, that's not really a word that we use, is it? I mean, do you guys normally use the word abide in your daily language? No, not, not really. So I started thinking what other words would, would make more sense, at least in our understanding, not to change the meaning of the word, but just maybe give us a picture of what that means. And the words that I came up with were to live in him to stand in him, to rest in him, to persevere in him. All of that means you are in him. That means everything about your life, everything that you're doing, everything that you are is in Christ. And we talked about this first couple of, we- uh, couple of weeks ago when we first started this book. One of the first things that we learn is number one, that Jesus is real. But secondly, is that Jesus calls us to pursue holiness. If you have any chance, any hope of abiding in Jesus, you have to pursue holiness. And the only way you can pursue holiness, and this is where it gets crazy, is by abiding in him. You see, it's a circle. It goes back and forth. If you want to abide in him, you have to pursue his holiness. If you're going to pursue his holiness, you have to abide in him because you can't pursue holiness without Jesus working in your life. Because there is no holiness apart from him. And the reason that he tells these believers and in turn us, the reason he says to abide in Jesus is so that one day in the future, when we see Jesus face to face, we can stand before him in confidence. Not with confidence in what we've done. Not because of our works. Not because we're something special and, hey, Jesus, you need to give me everything that I want because I've done all of these things for you. That's not what he's talking about here. He's not saying it's a confidence in your own life and how well you've lived for Jesus. The confidence is in the fact that Jesus has worked in your life. Because we all know what it looks like to shrink back, right? Anybody in here ever been in trouble with your parents? If, if you don't have your hand raised, I love you, but you're lying. Okay? We've all been in trouble with our parents. And you know there's been a time, for some of you it might have been today, I don't know. There's been a time where you got busted doing something that you knew you weren't supposed to do. And as soon as you got in trouble for it, your entire posture changed. Your shoulders went down, your head went down, and you started saying, yes, ma'am. And yes, sir, because you knew you were in trouble. You know what you're doing in that moment? You're shrinking back because you know you've done something wrong. You know you've lived in disobedience to your parents. And what John is writing about right here is he's saying, one day Jesus is going to return. And one day we're going to stand before him face to face. And he's trying to encourage these believers that in that day, you do not have to shrink back in guilt and shame. You can stand in confidence before your Lord Jesus Christ because of what he has done in your life, because of who he is and the price that he has paid for you. Because if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, scripture tells us you belong to God, you are his child, and you have the opportunity to pursue holiness every single day. Y'all ready? And if you are living out that pursuit every single day, then you don't have to be afraid. 
And what you'll find out very quickly is that the pattern of your life reveals the, per, the, 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 the pursuit of your heart. That's, that's what it means. That's what it, sells, it tells us. It tells us that if you are pursuing Jesus Christ, then the pattern of your life is going to reflect that. And he begins to explain that as we go through the rest of this passage. Look at what he says in, in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. John says, see, look at it. Look at this love. Think about it. Be amazed by it because it's something that none of us deserve. Have you ever gotten a Christmas present and when you opened it, you were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I got this. Have you ever had a present like that? Okay, some of you, the rest of you are like, eh, Christmas is okay. Hey, it's still a present. It's good. But you have that moment where you, you just can't believe what you're looking at. You can't believe you're receiving the gift you received because you never thought that was even a possibility. And that's the kind of excitement that John is talking about here. He's saying, you need to see, you need to look at, you need to be in awe of the love that the Father has shown us because none of us deserve it. In fact, Scripture tells us we deserve the exact opposite because we are sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of that sin, what we deserve is not God's love. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve punishment. We deserve to be separated from him, not just now, but for eternity. And yet see what love God has lavished upon us. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, what that tells us right there is that we deserve God's wrath, but we can choose to opt out of that result. We can choose instead to ask him to forgive us. And we can step into the pursuit of holiness that Jesus calls us to. When Jesus gave his life on the cross, when he rose from the grave, Scripture helps us understand that God poured out his wrath that we deserved for our sins on Jesus. He took the punishment that we were supposed to take. He took the debt and paid it because we couldn't. And that's an amazing thing that we see in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. It says, For our sake he made him, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That's what Jesus did for us. That's the love that God has poured out on us. But God didn't just stop there. He didn't just say, okay, hey, Jesus has done this and you can accept this and you'll be okay. What it tells us right there is that he went beyond just holding back his wrath and forgiving sin. He went beyond what he had to do. He says, I keep my wrath. I keep the punishment for your sin. I don't punish you for that. But now you're going to be my child. Now you're going to be a part of my family. Now you're going to receive the love that you don't deserve. Now you're going to receive the grace and the mercy that should not be yours. And you move from spending an eternity separated from God to being his child with everything Scripture tells us comes with it. When you understand that, 
When you embrace that forgiveness of God in your life, then the pursuit of your heart changes. Because you go from pursuing everything that glorifies you to pursuing the things that glorify God. You won't be focused on yourself and your desires any longer. The pursuit of your heart becomes God and the pattern of your life is now the pursuit of holiness because the pattern of your life reveals the pursuit of your heart. But he tells us right there, that's gonna create a friction in your life because if you're now pursuing God and you're pursuing his will and his holiness, there's gonna be people around you that haven't made that choice. And they're not going to understand why you're living the way that you're living now. In fact, there's, there's a barrier there between these two groups of people. And that barrier is sin. The people who have put their faith and trust in God and the people who have not. And it makes sense because, let's be honest, our natural reaction is when we get something that we don't understand or something we can't make sense of, we reject it and we push back against it. Your parents tell you to do something that you don't really understand why they want you to do it. And your natural reaction is like, well, can you give me a reason? (laughs) The favorite three-letter question, why? Why do I have to do that? Help me understand your reasoning. Help me understand your thought process. Because we push back. Our natural reaction is to rebel against God and his righteousness and his holiness. So if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're going to have friction with people who haven't done that. Because they're going to see if you are pursuing God in your life, they're going to see that pursuit and they're going to naturally want to rebel against that pursuit. Because we live in a world, as we talked about last week, we live in a world, a belief system whose pursuit is selfish desire. The pursuit is sin and a natural rejection of Jesus and anyone and anything that's associated with him is something that we need to expect. But then listen to what else he says in verse two. He says, beloved, we are God's children now. And now that we, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. He says, hey, we're God's children. You guys, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're God's children. What a great reminder that if if you have made that decision, there's a time you were not a child of God. There's a time that your mind, that your heart, that your life, that your speech, everything about you, whether you realized it or not, was set at odds with everything that God is. But John is reminding us here, if you've made the decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus to be forgiven of your sin, you are now considered a child of God. And if you've made that choice to follow Jesus with your life, then you have the promise that this life that you are living right now is not all there is. That's what he's talking about when he says, what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Because scripture tells us that there's going to come a day way out, maybe tomorrow. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us when because it says no one knows the day or the hour. But there's going to come a day when Jesus is going to return. 
And there's going to come a day where we're going to see him face to face. And that day, in that time, everything we know it the way it is, this messed up world where everything is suffering and affected by sin, is going to be made new. And it's going to be perfect like it was in the Garden of Eden when God created everything. All of creation will be restored to God's design. Even our bodies will be different. That's what it's talking about when he says, what will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. All of creation. 1 Corinthians 15, we won't get into all the verses, but it talks about how death and sin, they're no longer going to affect us, our bodies, the way that they do now. But for now, that's that already not yet tension we've talked about a couple weeks ago. Already, Christ has paid the penalty for our sins. Already, we belong to him. Already, Scripture tells us when the Holy Spirit lives within us, we are made new. We are a new creation. The old has passed away. That has already happened. But what we will be has not yet happened. When we see Jesus face to face, when he changes this so that there's no flaws, so that it's not affected by sin, we haven't seen that yet. So for now... We wait and we hope in Jesus. And then he goes on in verse 3 and he says, Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That means knowing that the day will come for every disciple of Jesus, knowing that day is going to come, you can have faith in the future. And that faith in the future of what Jesus will do and who he will turn you into and what you will be like, that faith gives you the ability to persevere now. We press on now because our focus is not on the struggles and the problems we have right now. And don't misunderstand me. I know those struggles and those problems are very real. Whatever is happening in your life, whatever has happened, whatever may happen, if it's a difficulty for you, please don't think I'm saying those don't matter because they do. Because they hurt. Because they're painful. But in the midst of those things... You can keep your eyes on who Jesus is. And you can find hope for what he's doing in your life and what he will one day do with your eternity. Because your perspective, your focus is on who he calls you to be now and then. And that same thing comes up. The pattern of your life reveals the pursuit of your heart. Look at verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. John is writing here about the active pursuit of sin in your life. Now, none of us like to think of ourselves as actively pursuing sin, but the fact of the matter is, is that we do before we know Jesus. That's, that's what we do. We look for ways to glorify ourselves. We look for ways to honor ourselves. In fact, even as a society, we make up reasons and, and, and catchphrases and little neat little things to excuse away the way that people live in ways that are sinful. We come up with, I wrote a couple things down here. We come up with phrases like, or labels like um, gender dysphoria when people decide to pursue what is outside of God's natural design. We use phrases like, little white lies to make it sound okay 
when we forget that God calls us to be honest and have integrity. Or, and this is one of my personal favorites, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. We come up with phrases like that and we use those phrases, but that, what that does is as a society, that is our way of making the pursuit of sin okay. And it's not okay. That's what God's word tells us right here. Or we begin to explain sinful behaviors away as just they've got personality issues. There's just some things in their character that they're working on, but we need to give them a pass on those things. But when we look at what scripture says, it says that in those moments, you're pursuing sin. You're choosing to live in open rebellion against the word of God. That's why he calls it lawlessness. Habitually pursuing sin is active disobedience of God. There's no gray area there. That's exactly what scripture says, which is why Jesus came to redeem humanity in the first place. Look at what it says in verse five. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. That is the whole reason Jesus stepped out of heaven and into humanity so that sin might be forgiven, so that the bondage of sin might be shattered. It was the entire purpose of his physical incarnation, his birth as a child, growing up to a full-grown man, 33 years old, when he gave his life, it was to crush sin and to restore you and I to a relationship with God. And then John goes on in verse six, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning, No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. John says you can't pursue Jesus, you can't pursue his holiness, and continually and habitually pursue sin in your life. You can't pursue two things with everything that you are. Now here's here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean you will be perfect. We talked about that last week. You may still struggle with the same desires in your life but you've made an intentional decision, an intentional break to stop actively pursuing those things. There may be snapshots of sin in your life, but it's no longer the entire real. That's what he's talking about here because the pattern of your life reveals the pursuit of your heart. Look at verse seven. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. He says, don't let anybody fool you. Remember, John is writing to a group of believers to address the fact that there were false teachers coming into the church. They were taking God's word and they were twisting the meaning of what scripture said and they were teaching things that just weren't true. He said, you gotta beware of those people. You can't claim to belong to Jesus and to be forgiven by him and continue to support and pursue what he came to destroy, which is sin. And then he says in verse eight, we're getting close to the end. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. His word is getting just stronger and stronger in the way he's talking about this. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He said a couple verses earlier, righteousness in your life, that's evidence that you belong to God. Now we're not talking about self-righteousness. We're not talking about that that self-importance because, hey, look at what I've done for God. Look how much money I've given. Look, I've memorized all the words to the songs. Look, I'm at church every time the doors are open. Look at me. That's self-righteousness. 
That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the righteousness that only comes from God because of who he is and what God is doing. He says that constant pursuit of sin, it's evidence of the absence of God in your life. Remember, you can't pursue two things wholeheartedly. You're pursuing God or you're not. You're pursuing holiness or you're not. In fact, John words it here. He says, if that pursuit of your life is your own glory, if you live in disobedience to God, then you belong to the devil. Those are harsh words because none of us wants to think we belong to Satan. But they couldn't be more true because you can't pursue more than one thing with your whole life. Look at verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. That's pretty cut and dry right there. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. If you belong to God, then the pattern of your life will reflect your pursuit of him. It's, it's, it's a similar idea. Let's think about it this way. Many of you in here probably look like your parents. Maybe one, maybe the other, maybe both. But at least one of your parents, there's some pretty strong physical similarities. And I'm willing to bet that if somebody watched your parents long enough and watched you, even your character and your mannerisms would reflect your parents in certain ways. Because they're your parents. Because they're the one who gave life to you. And this is the similar idea as to what John is talking about right here. He's saying when, when you're born of God, you begin to reflect God. Now, that doesn't mean physically you look like God, because we don't know physically what he looks like, but you begin to reflect his character. You begin to reflect those attributes of him that can be a part of your life. You begin to look like your father as you pursue him. You begin to desire the things that he desires for you. You begin to pursue holiness because he is holy. And then he says in the final verse in this passage, by this... It is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. He says, you resemble who you spend your life pursuing. Now, I don't know if you caught it right there, but two of those themes just popped up right there again. It's the theme of obedience and the theme of love. If you're pursuing God, your life will reflect these things because the pattern of your life reveals the pursuit of your heart. If somebody were to look at your life, what pattern would they see? Think about that question for a second. Where do you run over and over when things are difficult in your life? Is it to God or is it to something else? Where do you turn to over and over when things are going good in your life? Is it to God or is it to something else? What do you give your time and your attention to every day? What's guiding your relationships and your conversations and your situations? Because the pattern of your life reveals the pursuit of your heart. So what's your heart pursuing tonight? Is it focused on your own glory the way he's talked about here? Or is it focused on the glory of God? Jesus came into humanity to break the bondage of sin in your life.
to reconcile you to God, to take that relationship that was broken and to put it back together. And if you're here tonight and you say the pattern of your life is not one that honors God, that can change. Scripture tells us that you have to admit that you're a sinner, that you can't fix yourself, that you're broken. And and if you haven't realized that, let me let you in on a secret. You can't fix yourself. You will return to sin and your own glory and the pursuit of what you desire over and over and over again. Scripture says admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That he did die on a cross to forgive your sin and my sin. That three days later, what we celebrated Easter, he rose on his own power from that tomb. And he conquered sin and he conquered death. The scripture says, confess him as Lord of your life. Because let me let you in on another secret. Whether you confess him as Lord or not, he is Lord. You just have the opportunity to acknowledge it with your life. And it tells us that if you will do those things, if you will admit you're a sinner, if you will believe in Jesus and you confess him as Lord of your life, Scripture says you will be saved. And there is nothing you've done up to this point in your life that can surprise or shock God enough that he will not forgive you and that he will not pour out his love and his grace and his mercy on your life. If you're here tonight and you've never made that decision and you want to do that tonight, I want to encourage you. You can talk to God right there where you are. You don't have to come up here. You don't have to say a special prayer. You use your own words and you talk to God and ask him to forgive you. But if you do that, we want to celebrate with you. Because scripture tells us that as soon as somebody puts their faith and trust in Jesus, the angels are having a party in heaven and Dang it, we want to have a party here too. So if you make that decision, tell a friend, grab an adult, let us pray with you and pray for you. Let us celebrate with you. What does the pattern of your life reveal about the pursuit of your heart tonight? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for the opportunity again that you give us to come here to spend time in your word together. Lord, to worship you through song and through scripture and all of these different ways. Lord, even just having fun because you created that as part of us. God, help each one of us tonight. Help us to be willing to examine the pattern of our lives. And God, if that pattern shows that we're not pursuing you, God, help us to make that choice tonight. Help us to make that intentional break with the pursuit of our own glory and the pursuit of our own sin. And help us to have the courage and the boldness to pursue you with everything that we have. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.